Hey, we're so happy you found us online. The message you're about to hear was recorded live at Grace Family Church. We're a community following the call to love God, love people, and make a difference. We meet at four locations around Durban and at graceonline.tv. Go ahead and share this message, or you can download it and listen to it in your car or at home later today. Wherever you are in the world, wherever you're listening from, thank you for connecting with us. And may you be encouraged by the message coming up next. But I want to start by telling you a story uh, that happened to me uh, a few years ago, in fact, now. Uh, there was a race down in Cape Town that I had the opportunity to attend, an obstacle course race. And I went down there. It was a Saturday race in the morning, and I had to preach on the Sunday. And so I knew I needed to get back that, that, that afternoon. And so I managed to get a Saturday afternoon flight, uh, the latest I could get. And I always kind of knew that there was going to be kind of a, a rush between finishing the race and then getting to the airport to make it in time for my flight. Uh, but uh, but I, I had given myself enough time. But the problem was that this race was supposed to take me about an hour and a half. Um, and instead, because I got stuck on an obstacle, um, I, it took me uh, just over three hours. And um, because I was just too stubborn to give up and quit. So I had to finish the obstacle. Anyway, so I got to the obstacle, got to the end of the race. Now I'm bleeding. I'm covered in mud. And I was going to have a shower there. They got like showers at the venue. But I knew I had to get to the airport quick. So I figured there must be a shower at the airport somewhere, you know. So I get in the rental car and I'm heading off to the airport and I'm phoning ahead and I'm saying, you know, do you guys have showers? And, I, and then I find out that the only showers that the airport has is in those like fancy uh, like uh, executive lounges, you know, and it was going to cost 150 rand to have a shower. So I was like, oh, well, I mean, I, I guess I just have to have a shower. I mean, I can't sit next to Oak on the plane like this. Um, and so I just thought, okay, I'll do that. So I get to the airport. Um, I'm literally barefoot. I take my shoes off because um, I, I wore those, like, at that stage, I wore those, like, five-finger, like, gorilla shoes. So that's actually more scary than barefoot. Anyway, um, so I'm, like, walking to the rental thing. Oak's looking at me, like, all squiff. I get to the thing, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get into the airport and make a straight beeline for the showers, only to realize that the airport lounges are on the other side of security. So now I'm, I'm, I'm bleeding, I'm mud in my hair, I'm like, and I'm, yeah, I'm walking through with my, you know, carry-on, whatever, you know, anything to declare. Um, and so I go there, you can check the security guards, just like, what is up with this? Like, I'm literally dripping wet. Anyway, make my way to the, the, one of the lounges, I can't remember which one it was, and I get there, and there's this young guy behind the counter, and he looks at me like, like you kind of look at a stray dog, you know, he just like... Like, shame. Like, you must be the guy who called. You know, you look terrible. And, um, and, and, and I said, okay, I know I have to pay. I'm in a bit of a rush. And he said, you know, how long, you, when is your flight leave? I said, oh, it leaves in half an hour, so I've, I've got a bit of time. He says, oh, you know what? He kind of looked around, like, and he was like, just go in. I won't charge you. It's fine. Um, you know, it's okay. And, and, like, literally, I was like, I just wanted to hug this guy. You know, like, um, he didn't let me. But, but, um, <laughs> But I just, and, and, and then he said to me, he said, he said you know, you're not going to spend, you know, you're, not, you're, only, you're only in here such a short time, you won't use up the 150 rand, so go, go. And then I thought to myself, I didn't say this, but I thought, buddy, you don't know me because I can smash 150 rands worth of food at that buffet in under three minutes. So anyway, they were definitely going to lose money on me. So I, I go in there, I have this amazing shower, there's like white fluffy towels, there's a seat in the shower, I'm just like enjoying myself. I get out, there's a buffet, I'm smashing salmon rolls and sushi and nuts, I've my, my third grape tires or whatever. Anyway, um, and, and, and I, I always kind of remember that with such fondness because I felt so... I felt so kind of gifted. I felt so blessed. The word that kind of comes to mind is I felt favored. 
I felt like, wow, God has just given me. I know it seems like a small thing, but for me, it was this big thing. Like, you know, I was just kicking it in the lounge, and, and it just felt so awesome. And I thought to myself, well, what, is, what does favor look like? I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that where maybe it was an upgrade to, you know, uh, business class or whatever. Or maybe it was the chance encounter with someone. Or maybe an unexpected raise in pay or a holiday that you went on that just kind of exceeded your expectations. Or maybe it's something as simple as, as the, the, the parking spot right at the front opening up. You know what I mean? Like you, you get to Gateway and then as you get there, the oak reverse out and you just go straight in. I mean, blessed by God, the favor of the Lord is upon you. You know what I mean? And then I thought, well, I mean, I, I kind of reflected on that. Well, what does it mean to be favored of God? I mean, is God really interested in upgrades and open parking spaces? I, I don't know. I don't know. But, but I kind of, uh, some of you think, oh, yes, but, but I thought, well, what does that mean? So we're in a series starting this week, a four-week series called The Invisible God. And really, it's, it's this idea of even though we don't see it, even though we don't feel it, this idea that God is in fact visible. Because maybe, maybe as I said, maybe you've had a horrible year and maybe it feels like God has been absent. Maybe it feels like He is the invisible God. And, and we're going to look at some stories over the next few weeks, stories that really kind of center around the Christmas story as we head towards Christmas that help us to recognize that God is in fact working. In the midst of the chaos of Christmas, in the midst of all that's going on in our lives. So I want to kick off the series by telling you the story of a woman in the Bible who is called, explicitly called, favored. In fact, she's called most favored of God. Her name was Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus. So as we explore her story a bit, I think it sheds some incredible light on what favor actually looks like. And I think as you come along with me in the story, you'll find that what we find might surprise you. It might not be what you expect, but hopefully it will excite me because as much as we know that, that Mary was favored of God, I absolutely believe that God calls each and every single one of us favored of God. And so we're going to explore what that looks like. I really believe that God, the God we serve, truly desires to bless us in ways far beyond our expectations, our comprehension, or our understanding, as long as we understand what favor really is. So come with me on a journey uh, through Luke chapter 1, um, and Dr. Luke is writing this account, uh, and, and he says this in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I mean, can you imagine? She's never seen an angel before. She's never had an encounter like this. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. There's that word again. And again, you've got to understand this was scandalous because Mary was a no one. Mary was a lowly peasant girl. And now she's not only being visited by an angel, but she's being told by the angel that she is favored of God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. 
Now you've got to understand, I mean, Israel hadn't had a king for over 500 years. And now Mary is being told that her son, this baby, is going to become the king over Israel and that his reign will never end. I mean, it's almost too much. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. It's like, <clears throat> excuse me, just, just wanted something to point out. I mean, this sounds great, but, but, but how is this actually going to work? Because I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And then there is this most magnificent response from young Mary. I mean, it's one of the most powerful responses in the scripture. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. In other words, your will be done, Father, not mine. Your will be done. Use me as you will. I'm yours. I'm available. I don't understand it. I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm your servant. I'm yours. I'm available. Turn to someone and say, I'm available. Mm, there we go. <laughs> Not in that way, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I'm either causing problems or I'm helping you. So either way, it's a good thing. I'm available. Here's what I, here's what I recognize. It's not your ability, but your availability that determines how God will use you. Hello? It's not your ability, it's your availability that determines how God will use you. And I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that God can do more through my surrender, through our surrender, than we could ever do with our control. You see, when Gabriel told Mary that she was going to have a child, you've got to understand, this was not exactly welcome news. I mean, she would be, uh, she was engaged to Joseph, but she wasn't married. She would be an unwed, pregnant teenage girl. She didn't know at that point how things would turn out. Joseph could have rejected Mary. In fact, Joseph could have had her stoned to death. That was the law of the Torah. That's what was supposed to happen. For sure, someone who was known as, as being pregnant before marriage, at the very least, would have been subject to all kinds of rumors and gossip and slander. Then, of course, she had to travel 200 kilometers to Bethlehem, a kind of back end town on the back of a donkey. Misfavored of God. <laughs> I mean, when she got there, we know the story. There was no room in the inn. And I'm sure at some point Mary must have been thinking, hey, angel, <laughs> you didn't tell me about this part. I mean, you, you, you called me favored. Now I'm on this donkey. I mean, can I have some of that favor, please? Or at least a decent room in the inn. I mean, at the very least, couldn't you have called ahead and booked an Airbnb or something? I mean... This is the Son of God here. Then, of course, after the birth, if this child were in, sense, in a sense to be the Messiah, then there would be danger from other kings. And there was. Mary had to flee for her survival and begin married life in exile in a foreign country in Egypt. We make light of it, but the very, in a very, very real way, Mary suffered for the Messiah before the Messiah ever suffered for her. But she remained obedient to God through it all. And through it all, she continued to sing praises to God. 
In fact, you may not know this, but Mary actually composed the first ever Christmas song. The first ever song inspired by the birth of Jesus. Sometimes it's called the Magnificat because in, in Latin it starts with, with that word. And it's maybe one of the most influential songs ever written. Maybe the most profound. Written by a girl who was probably 16 or 17 years old at the time. It goes like this. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. And we do. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit and cast down the mighty from their thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich has been sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel. For he has remembered his promise of mercy. The promise made to our fathers. To Abraham and his children forever. Now, we see in the, there's so much packed into the song that Mary uh, uh, sings. And, and, and this, this song really ultimately shows us that Mary got it. That she knew, she understood who Jesus really was, the Messiah. In Mary's day, you've got to understand, the most important person in the world was a man by the name of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was adopted by Julius Caesar. You remember him? And after Julius Caesar died, Julius Caesar was declared divine, a god. And so Caesar Augustus was often referred to as the son of God. Caesar Augustus, also when he seized power, he ended the civil wars. Uh, you remember Antony and Cleopatra? He ended those wars and he brought peace to Rome. Uh, it was called Pax Romana, the bringer of peace. Because of this, uh, he was also often referred to as Rome's Sota, their savior. And at his inauguration, when he became uh, uh, the emperor of Rome, it was declared throughout the, the, the empire as Good news, you Google on. It's the same word that we get the word gospel from, which means good news. Now, this is no coincidence. Notice that Rome would use four expressions to describe Caesar Augustus. Savior, bringer of peace, son of God, good news. Does that sound familiar? And yet Jesus, and yet Mary alone understood who Caesar was, and who her son really was. The true Savior, the true Son of God. There are all these characters in the story around Christmas. There's Joseph, and there's the wise men, and there's Herod, and there's the shepherds, and Elizabeth, and Zechariah. And we can explore some of those stories in this series. But, and they all had some idea of who Jesus was or who he would become. But only one person really got it. Only one person figures out who Jesus is. The one person who knew him best, his mom. The very identifier and proclaimer of the good news, the gospel of Jesus, is an unwed teenage girl. Mary, the theologian. You see, getting back to this idea of favor, Mary understood what favor really means. 
She says in her song, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From, all this, from this day, all generations will call me blessed. Mary knew what it, what, what it is to be blessed, to be favored. Not because everything went well for her. Or, or, or that things were going to go well for her, but rather because she knew God was using her to accomplish great things. That's, 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 really, that's what favor really is. You see, finding favor has little to do with finding fortune. Hello? Finding favor has little to do with finding fortune. In our day, in our culture, we confuse the two. And when we speak of blessing or of favor, what we really mean is fortune. And while fortune can also kind of mean good luck, more often than not, we associate it with wealth and with prosperity and with material gain, the Fortune 500, like the salary raise or that job promotion or the status gain. And so blessing and favor becomes sometimes about prosperity and success and, and, and status. But Mary had none of those things. I mean, Mary, she was not wealthy or famous or even lucky. In fact, her life was really hard. I mean, think about it. She had to watch her own son be crucified for a crime he did not commit. And yet, in the midst of all of that, Mary called herself favored. And the angel said, most favored woman. Because she and the angel knew favor has little to do with fortune and far more to do with being used by God to do great things. That's what favor is. And some of us, some of you, you don't feel very favored right now because you've confused favor with fortune. You're waiting for God to bless you with more stuff or a better job or a bigger something when the reality is you are already blessed in so many ways that we can so easily miss in our lives. It's like we said last week, no matter what you're going through, there's always something to be thankful for. We're Mary so often on the donkey saying, God, surely you could have organized me an upgrade. <laughs> Surely you could have found some you know, room in an inn or upgraded our accommodation, missing out on the fact that God is wanting to use us for greater things. If we just sit back, if we'd look around and we would realize, wow, I am indeed favor. Yes, things are tough. Yes, things are hard. Yes, it's been a rough year, but I have so much to be grateful for. Yes, I have problems, but look what I do have. I have relationships, I have health, I have my family, I have a job that provides me with an income, I have opportunities. And maybe you feel like, well, you know what, Tom, I've actually, I've kind of, I've hit rock bottom, to be honest. Well, even then, rock bottom will teach us lessons that mountaintops never will. So no matter where you find yourself this morning, know this, God loves you. And God wants to include you in his plan to restore and to redeem this broken world. And here's the most amazing thing about God's favor. It is 100% unconditional and undeserved. We don't earn the favor of God by, you know, increasing our Bible knowledge or going to church or it's not about how good we've been or how bad we've been or our status or whatever it is or how many boxes we've ticked. The Greek word here, I did a word search. The word that Luke uses here uh, to describe favor 
is actually appears 156 times in the New Testament. And interestingly, 130 of those 156 times in the English, it's translated not as favor, but as grace. Grace. The grace of God poured out onto all, onto any who would receive it. Make no mistake, we do not find favor with God because we've earned it or done something right. But we are, you and I, are most certainly favored. Amen? Now you might think, well, that sounds great, but I, you know, that that sounds like wonderful preacher talk, but I don't feel very favored right now. I'd like a bit of fortune, thanks very much. (laughs) I I feel like there's stuff going on in in my heart, going on in my world that pulls me down, that causes me to stumble, stuff that stops me from singing praises to God like Mary. So the question then is how? How do we grab hold of this reality? The reality that, that is, is it, it's, it's unchangeable, that we are favored of God, that we are made in the image of God, sons and daughters of the King. How do we grab hold of that truth in the midst of all the other stuff that's going on? All the obstacles, all the challenges, all the insecurities, all that stuff. How do we grab hold of that truth? And so I want to leave you this morning with three big ideas that I think can help us to recognize our favoredness, if that's a word, I don't think it is. But anyway, three big ideas. The first one is this. Play the ball where the monkey drops it. That makes 100% sense, right? Let's move on to point two. No, okay, let me unpack this because it comes from a story. I think I got this from a Malcolm Gladwell book or something, but, but it, it's a true story about a golf course in, in, in India, in Calcutta. And apparently, once the English had colonized the country and established their businesses, they yearned for recreation and decided to build a golf course in Calcutta, uh, as you do. I mean, you know how awesome that is for environment. Anyway, but uh, golf in Calcutta presented a unique obstacle, something the British were not expecting. Monkeys would drop out of the trees, scurry along the course, and seize the players' golf balls and run off with them. I feel like Durbanites can relate, Yes. I mean, we, we, we know that. They, we, they, they're lucky they don't have the hardy dogs. We've got the hardy dogs on top of the monkeys. Hardy dogs are just, let's be honest, from the pits of hell. Anyway, um, so <laughs> that's hell. It's just hardy dogs never stop. Anyway, but, but these monkeys would come and they would, they would, they would steal these balls. And, and at first, the golfers, they were furious. They tried to control the, the, the monkey. They, would, they built a massive, this is a true story. They built a massive high fence around the golf course. And then they realized that fences are no match for monkeys. Um, then eventually they tried to trap the monkeys and, and, and send them off. But every time they, they trapped a monkey, there would, more monkeys would just kind of uh, uh, appear. And so eventually, after trying all sorts of things, eventually they just came up with a new rule for that golf course. And the rule was, play the ball where the monkey drops it. It's a great rule. Now, as you can imagine, playing on this course could be uniquely... Um, Challenging and maddening because a drive down the center of the fairway could be picked up and dropped off in the rough and maybe even a slice into the bushes, some monkey would come along and just pop it back onto the green for you. (laughs) And it didn't take long for the golfers playing that course to realize that golf on that course was very similar to our experience of life. There are good breaks and there are bad breaks. And we simply cannot control, entirely control the outcome of the game. We've got to learn to play the ball where the monkey drops it. If you want to be favored of God, 
I mean, we stop trying to control every outcome or person that's around you. Stop trying to avoid painful conversations or decisions that you know you need to have. And rather embrace the circumstances of life for what they are. Opportunities ultimately to learn and to grow and to develop. Opportunities for our faith to be stretched. For us to grow closer to God and ultimately to one another. Opportunities to be used by God in wonderful and unlikely ways. Play the ball where the monkey drops it. The second idea that I think can help us to grab hold of this idea of being favored of God, and I see from Mary's story, is this. Be a prelude. Be a prelude. You see, whenever we tell the story of the one who comes at Christmas, that is Jesus, and who he really was, we must always speak of Mary, his mother. Mary's life was a prelude to Jesus. Now, the dictionary definition uh, of prelude, according to some official-looking enough website, is this. An action or event or person serving as an introduction to something more important. An action or an event or a person serving as an introduction to something more important. Like John the Baptist. You see, without dismissing the important role played by the apostles or the evangelists or, or the disciples, we must remember that the story that we are now reading, the story this account of Jesus' birth, it came to us through Mary. Because Mary told the story of how Jesus came to be and she told the disciples. This is, Luke spoke to Mary to write this account. That's how we have a record of these things. And when you reflect on the song that Mary sings, the, the Magnificat, the one we looked at earlier, what's amazing is to look at how in so many ways Jesus is Mary's song come to life. There's kind of a prophetic element to Mary's song. She would have told Jesus how Gabriel had said to her, nothing is impossible for God. And Jesus would have grown up knowing that truth. Jesus would begin the single most compelling speech in all of human history. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. By telling people in humble states, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And I mean, these were, these are words that echoed Mary's song. One of the central characteristics of the Christian faith, of the kingdom of God, is what they call the great inversion. It's this idea that the first shall be last, that the least shall be greated, that, uh, greatest, that the, those who give up their lives will gain their life. It's the great inversion. And it may be not just the central teaching of Jesus, it may be the central theme of Mary's song. The humble will be lifted up. The rulers and the rich who exalt themselves will be humbled. And Mary would have sung her song to little Jesus. It's, it's often around this time, this Christmas time, where people and organizations, we see them all around our malls and our shopping centers, where people are, are, are raising funds for, for organizations Amazing organizations doing incredible work around our world. And why do they choose this time? Well, because Jesus' birth is the primary time of the year that people's hearts turn towards giving. That's the song we sing over Christmas time. And I think Mary, the mother of Jesus, would have said to her boy at some time, you know, your heavenly father, my boy, has always been faithful to us. 
And if he ever asks you to do a hard thing, my boy, remember how your life started. Remember what your mom said when she was a scared, young, unmarried teenage girl. I am your servant, Lord. Not my will, but your will be done. And years later, in the garden, in the shadow of the cross, the father did ask his son to do a hard thing. To take onto himself the weight of, of the sins of the world, yours and mine, so that forgiveness and love could begin the great reversal. And the son said, not my will, but yours be done. He was God of very God. He was also his mother's son. Why do I say all of this? Because your life, my life, like Mary's life, can also be a prelude to Jesus. We can point, our lives can point to Jesus. If we simply allow ourselves to be used by God, if we resist the great temptation in our culture to be our own main event, <laughs> to make us, if we make ourselves available and say, God, your will be done, not mine, then we become a prelude to Jesus, a person serving as an introduction to something more important. And so let us, Grace Family Church, be preludes to the one who came on Christmas morning. Finally, the third thing I think we can do to embrace being favored of God is that we would sing a song of praise. Sing a song of praise. I mean, what, what song are you singing this Christmas season? I mean, we are marked by the songs we hear and the songs that we sing. I mean, if you hear a song enough times, you begin to sing. And my, my kids love Ed Sheeran. So we listen to Ed Sheeran like on repeat in our car. And, and, and I can sing every Ed Sheeran song. I won't. But, but I mean, I, we love it. And, and you just, it starts to become like part of you. It just comes out of you. So what song are you singing? Are you singing a song of complaint or of thanksgiving? Are you singing a song of, of, of despair or of hope? Are you singing a song of condemnation and judgment or a song of praise and appreciation? Are you singing a song of fear or of love? Are you singing a song of stress and anxiety or a song of peace? Peace, which the word says does not come from our own understanding. A peace that the world simply cannot give. A peace that isn't bound to the circumstances of our life. What kind of song are you singing? Am I singing? If I'm honest with you, this year has been a tough year for me and my family. I mean, the transition uh, at Grace, kind of the, the, just the magnitude of those shifts and changes, the financial pressure of our current economic climate in our world, I think we all feel that. My oldest boy moving schools has been, has been a challenge, uh, breaking my ankle in the middle of the year, not being able to train, and that kind of being a drawn-out process. Uh, the increased burden of leadership and responsibility as I seek to, to be a servant to you, to this congregation called Grace. It's been a hectic year for us. And sometimes I've allowed that to change my tune. 
and I've started singing the wrong songs, songs of doubt, songs of fear, songs of frustration, songs perhaps of entitlement, songs of maybe just good old-fashioned grumpiness. (laughs) And then I realized I can't always change the circumstances of my life, but I can change my attitude in those seasons. Like James Dean says, you can't change the wind, but you can change the angle of your sails so that you get to your destination. I can choose what song I sing in those seasons of my life, and so can you. It's a choice. We choose the songs we sing every day. Happiness is not a destination, it's a direction. It's a posture of our hearts. We can choose to be grateful or ungrateful. We can choose to wallow in the reality of our circumstances or we can choose to see them as opportunities to learn and grow. And for some of us here this morning, I'm not trying to minimize those things, but for some of us, we need to stop describing our problems and start declaring God's promises. I mean, that's that's what we want to do this morning. That's what we want to do as we sing these songs of declaration. And this is not some kind of, you know, motivational pep talk, naive positivity that pretends things are, you know, just fine. It's a realistic and authentic recognition that despite the fact that there are very real obstacles and challenges, God is with you and will not leave you. And if God is with you, who can be against you? This is faith. Regret looks back. Fear looks around, worry looks in, but faith looks up. And so let us look up. Just because your progress isn't obvious doesn't mean your faith isn't working. God is at work. He never stops working. When we see it, when we don't see it, when we feel it, when we don't feel it. Mary didn't sing her song because everything was going well and according to plan. To the contrary, things were far from easy for her. She sung her song because she knew God was at work doing great things. She sung her song because she knew God was using her to leave a lasting legacy that would change the world forever. Yes, this year has been tough. For me, maybe for you. But I've never been more convinced that I'm exactly where God needs me to be in this season of life. And the joy that I have every day knowing that, that, that what I do matters. You just can't buy that stuff. This is what it means to be favored. Finding favor has little to do with finding fortune and everything to do with acknowledging that God wants to use us to do great things. Amen? As we kind of wrap up the service this morning, I want to close the service a little bit differently and, and I'm going to show you a scene from, uh, uh, from the film The Passion. And, uh, and if you've seen that movie, you'll, you'll know it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a harrowing film, but I think an important film. And, and I just want to give it kind of a disclaimer. If there are young minds or eyes in the room, I, I would maybe consider you, you might want to just turn away or, or I don't know what, what, you want, what you need to do. But, but the, the, the scene is quite graphic. Um, and I'm not trying to show it to you because of the graphic nature of the scene. But sometimes I think we need to be reminded of what Christ went through for us on the cross, and on the way to the cross, the sacrifice he paid. 
So we're going to show you that, that scene, and, and then after the scene, kind of, we're just going to invite you just to create some space. We're not going to, I'm not going to speak anymore. I'm just going to say, when, you, when, the, film, when the, the, the scene is done, just make your way to one of the communion tables. They're dotted all around the room and at the back and behind the sound desk. And you can just, in your own time, everyone's invited because Christ makes this offer to every single one of us. That he would be our Lord and Savior. If we simply accept what he's done for us on the cross. His blood shed for us. His body broken for us. And so once we've watched this scene, you can make your way to the communion table. We're just going to create some space. We've got plenty of time for you to remember the price that Christ has paid. So that you and I can be called favored. So that we can step into the blessings and favor of God. That we can be used by God to do great things. And this scene, I mean, this scene just wrecks me every time I've watched it. And it's a scene that's not necessarily recorded in the Gospels. It's a scene that Mel Gibson added as kind of part of his creative license. It's a scene where Mary, the mother of Jesus, sees Jesus stumble with the cross on his way to Golgotha. And she can do nothing but run to her boy as the heart of a mother. And so may we be moved by this moment and then we'll participate in communion together. Take a look.